welcome to another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we bring in the most recognized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, DevOps, cloud, data centers, AI, infrastructure, and more. This time, I'm joined by Jeff Cessna, CEO of Cessna Associates. Jeff, how are you? And welcome to the show. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, Jeff, uh, I gave a brief introduction, but uh, tell us a little bit about what um, Jeff does on a day-to-day basis. What, uh, what, <laughs> what is uh, Cessna and Associates, and, and um, what are you seeing these days? So, Cessna Associates is a growing consulting practice located in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities. And typically what happens is I get called in by organizations that are trying to do something, um, typically agile or DevOps, and it's not going the way they expected. Um, And they bring me in and they say, what are we doing wrong? How do we do it right? And so what I do um, with a small staff is basically in a very non-religious, non-orthodox way, help them understand how to make what they're doing better. Uh, So I don't come in and say, well, get rid of Scrum and do Kanban instead, or get rid of Puppet and do Chef instead, or you need to do everything with containers or what have you. Um, It's more just really teaching them how to do creative problem solving and how to iteratively make their lives better. Because what I find is that Agile and DevOps, part of the challenge with them, and really part of the challenge with digital business entirely, whether it be on the IT side or the product side or the design side, is it's really about transforming ourselves into adaptive organizations that can continuously learn. Um, And that means that you can't just take the chart and say, okay, we're going to have our stand-ups at 9.15 in the morning, and they're going to be 15 minutes long, and we're going to ask these three questions, and once we implement that, everything will be fine. So it's it's really about um, teaching people and showing people how to just continuously improve whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Well, I think that's perfect, and um, your entry... Uh, uh, the points you made in your entry uh, message there gave me uh, several thoughts uh, on where we could take this conversation. Um, And my audience probably knows by now that uh, I like a free flowing kind of conversation. And um, so again, what you just said was perfect. And I want to start on, on something that, I mean, several things that you mentioned, uh, I think need to be more obvious. And a couple of the things that you mentioned, um, are, I don't want to say that they're, um, they're being debated actively uh, uh, across the IT sphere, but uh, they certainly aren't well understood. And, and I want to start with one of those. And, and that's, you know, you mentioned um, uh, something about, um, you know, not being religious about containers and things like that. And <laughs> I, would argue, I, I, would, I would argue, I mean, I think that's great. But I would argue that a lot of people associate the, the ability to be DevOps, if I can make my own word, um, mm-hmm. with using more cloud-native oriented technology. Certainly, if not um, uh, microservices and containers or functions as a service or something, then certainly 
you know, uh, for deploying to uh, cloud environments, et cetera. What would you say to folks who um, are like almost every enterprise that's more than 10 years old um, have two or three evolutions of major IT technology that they'll probably still have for another five or six years, if not longer. What do you say to them about employing DevOps from an organizational standpoint and a strategy standpoint, even in environments that historically wouldn't be associated with DevOps? So uh, a number of years ago, I gave a talk at a DevOps conference uh, where I claimed that empathy was actually the essence of DevOps, uh, which has nothing to do with containers or automation or software-defined anything. It's about how people relate to each other. And I was very pleased by the fact that people grabbed hold of it almost instantaneously. And it quickly reached the point where you couldn't go to a DevOps conference without some conversation happening about empathy. So I think that at its heart, what we're really talking about is how do we help each other accomplish what we're trying to accomplish? Um, to me, that's really the reason that we have this word DevOps. And it's funny because we struggle with that word so much. And I think the word's almost too easy because all it's really saying is we have to think about building things and running things together. And we have to right. think about how they relate to each other. Now, that being said, you could make the claim that things like cloud native architectures and containers and microservices make it easier for dev and ops to achieve the same goals. Um, right. and, and let me say a little more about what I mean by that. I had a client a couple of years ago uh, where I was asked to come in and sort of help them do the DevOps. And the first thing I discovered was that the uh, VP of development was bonused on time to market. And the VP of operations was bonused on uptime. And I said to the COO, until you change that incentive structure, you're not really going to solve your problem. Uh, they both need to be bonused on both. And I, in retrospect, it would have been a really interesting thought experiment to reverse it to bonus the head of ops on time to market and the head of development on uptime. Um, the, the point of that is that ultimately what you're trying to do is align the entire organization's purpose and the implementation of that purpose. And you could say that cloud native makes it easier to go faster and it also makes it safer to go faster. So I think, I'm all in favor of looking at new approaches to technology and new approaches to running and architecting systems as part of the DevOps equation. But it needs to be in the context of the bigger picture of what it is we're trying to accomplish, which is to, to break down the friction between building things and running things. Right, right. I, I think that the, you couldn't have ended on a better sentence, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Um, uh, you know, is the ability to break down the frictions. And uh, I really think that that's core to why I asked the question. And, and in fact, it's one of the reasons why, and I can't remember whether you and I have agreed or disagreed on this in the past. Uh, <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like we've talked about it, but it's the, the you know, Gartner's bimodal. 
right? And I've, I've never been a fan of the idea of bimodal because I feel like it instantiates additional silos and it actually creates additional barriers to using uh, the philosophy behind DevOps, as you so well uh, have described, across the entire organization, even if you can't use it to the uh, percentile of success you might be able to use when deploying VMs in Amazon or containers uh, in Google or something like that, you still uh, can, can employ many of the benefits. Well, to my mind, the problem with bimodal IT is it doesn't reflect reality in two important ways. The first way is it's based on the premise that mode two, I think it is, which is the sort of agile customer facing cloud native mode, trades quality for speed, which is actually untrue. It's wrong, that yeah, exactly. It's, it is wrong because the yeah. way that it achieves speed is by increasing reliability and quality. Um, yeah. So that's one where I think it's just inaccurate. The other problem with it is what I see in enterprises is that more and more the agility of what's happening in mode two is actually gated by the agility of what's happening in mode one that it's no longer, and for a while now, it hasn't been enough, enough to tip up a nice agile web front end without that connecting that front end back to your ERP system. Yeah. And, if, and it's those connections that have to be as agile as anything else. And I think bimodal IT fundamentally misses that. The other thing I wanted to say is you mentioned the word silo, and I'm really happy that you mentioned that. Um, what I said um, a moment ago was I talked about reducing the friction between building and operating, and I very intentionally didn't use the word silos um, because I think there's actually sort of a, a dirty little secret about DevOps is that we talk about breaking down silos. You actually can't get rid of silos in any complex organization. You can only move them around. So if you look at the DevOps notion of, well, you know, let's go cloud native and, and let's go microservices and let's go containers. And the ultimate expression of that is we have these nice little autonomous two pizza teams. Mm -hmm. And that's all, it's all great and it's all wonderful. But where is it that those two pizza teams are deploying to? The assumption is they're deploying to a cloud. Right. Who's running Who's running that cloud? Well, if it's public cloud, that's the biggest silo in the history of IT. Sure. If it's, if it's private cloud, you still need an organization that's running that environment on behalf of all of these two pizza teams. And beyond that, you still need to figure out how these two pizza teams and all of their nice microservices are actually going to connect to each other into some coherent overall customer and employee experience because that's the point. So ultimately, and, and part of why it really all comes back to empathy and it all comes back to some form of design thinking is that fundamentally what we're talking about here is, is thinking about and designing and operating for the relationships between all of the parts. And we can't make those relationships go away. All we can do is flip our thinking inside out and focus less on this is what I'm building and this is what I'm running and think more about this is how I'm connecting to and this is how I'm serving the other parts of the organization. 
So from that perspective, you could say that DevOps is really about Dev and Ops becoming each other's customer and each other's helper. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would, and I would agree with all that. I don't, um, and I, without going into a long-winded discussion on, on interpretation of um, silos or whatever, I mean, I agree that, that <laughs> cloud, for instance, public cloud is by definition a silo, but um, I, in my interpretation of the benefits of, of DevOps in this model, or even, even in the method for which someone employs cloud, is that the abstraction between the silo that is um, public cloud is now the tool or human that is the gatekeeper between you and deploying an app in public cloud on that silo. But it's the, it's the process for which you can offer up and automate and um, process those um, connections between each of the consumers or suppliers in that path that um, makes DevOps, in my mind, such an attractive story. So while I agree that um, silos will, in essence, always exist because you still need someone that knows how to build servers, even if they build it with a fully automated tool, and that person is going to be different from someone who codes in Ruby um, and is deploying on a, on a PaaS, and it's different from someone else who's coding in, a, in, a, in an application. Um, in essence, what you're trying to do is break down the barriers to use uh, and, and, as you mentioned, remove the friction for deployment across those three different um, silos, as it were, right? Make sense? We on the, that the, roughly that on the does, same page? It, it, it does make sense. I think the thing for me, and, and part of why we have gone through some of the onks we have with DevOps of, of, well, maybe we need enterprise DevOps and maybe we need DevOps teams, but no, we don't need DevOps teams because DevOps teams are bad, is that at least in its in initial instantiation devops didn't really address these connections it said well we need to break down silos and so people started people didn't really know what to do well does that mean that we have a network engineer and a database engineer and a security engineer on every single two pizza team well that doesn't scale right. so what do we do right. um, and i think and i think one of the places where i see enterprises struggle with devops is they don't know how to model the complexity of their situation with a, uh, you know, sort of simplistic view of, well, we need these cross-functional teams. Um, th there, there isn't any help on sort of how to do that in a, in a bigger way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think this is great. And I, and, uh, I believe um, uh, an excellent, one of the, one of the excellent, or potentially excellent um, starting points for anyone discussing the deployment of, um, of DevOps in their organization as far as a way to think about it. And, and uh, I think great responses. And so the, the next one, um, and sort of staying in this theme, because uh, uh, another point you made in your opening discussion was really around, um, and, you, and you mentioned it again, even in this, in this last question and answer, um, uh, back and forth uh, was really about 
organization and, and culture. And so if, if uh, and I realize that most of the audience is going to be um, rolling eyes a little bit when we talk about organization and culture, but I feel like um, this is part of the discussion that really has to be covered when someone is first going out and trying to uh, employ some sort of, uh, you know, DevOps strategy. And I'll, I'll play a little bit off of something you just said, and, and I'll mention, you know, even something I've said historically, which is that DevOps isn't a tool. You said DevOps is not a team. And unless DevOps, the only way in my mind that DevOps is a team is if your entire company is that team. Right. And, and mm -hmm. the, it's, it's the DevOps process, the DevOps theories of value across different teams. And, in, and, to, and to go back to your own words, which I, 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 I um, agree with, um, even though I've historically blatantly said we need to bust down silos, I agree with your point about why you are and aren't really, you know, you're, you're getting rid of barriers, but you're not necessarily getting rid of silos. Um, how DevOps needs to be employed across all of those silos and not necessarily be some team that's just stuck in the middle where you're pushing in each direction. So, or pulling or attempting to pull from every direction. Um, so, you know, taking some of those thoughts in mind, you know, a, an enterprise is, has just started thinking about DevOps and they've sent a couple of people off to learn about DevOps and maybe they've created the role of DevOps manager or director in their, in their team somewhere. Um, what, what would you tell them, you know, what would be like the first two or three things that you would say before they made another step forward? I would tell them, that's a big question. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I, and and I could think of a hundred. I could think of a hundred things. So trying to prioritize them is tough, and I I I, I accept that. But if there, you know, if there's just a few nuggets that you would give people to start thinking about first. Uh, that well, would... there there is one. There there is one nugget that I would give them, and I would tell them the first. Well, two things. One is I would tell them to start small, and scale incrementally one of the biggest problems that i see with things like agile and devops which are all about iterative incremental progress is they try and implement that in one big shot and it doesn't work um, so the first thing i would say is start small the second thing i would say is uh to some degree, if you're starting small, it doesn't matter where you start in the organization. Uh, I would start with some place where there's an appetite for change and an appetite for an experimentation and some sense of pain that the, that part of the organization wants to get rid of. But the other most important thing I would say is wherever you start is start with teaching that organization or that team or what have you how to be more service centered and i'll give you a very explicit concrete example of what i mean and i'll try and bring this whole conversation about culture and organization immediately really down to earth uh, one of the things that i've said over the last several years is um, i have an opinion about why 
AWS always seems to be ahead of everyone else, mm -hmm. historically. Um, and it's because they have this relentlessly user-centered approach to what they do. They don't really care whether their infrastructure is a service or platform is a service or software is a service. They think about everything in terms of what, are, what is our customer struggle and how can we make that struggle easier. And I'll give you an example of something that happened to me actually probably eight or nine years ago at this point. I was helping a client uh, move their infrastructure and application to Amazon. It was a very basic forklift. Uh, it was very straightforward. We were trying to take advantage of some of the really simple uh, capabilities that we would get from going to the cloud of things like running in multiple availability zones and load balancing and scalability and that kind of stuff, just really simple. And we ran into a problem. We were trying to scale and cluster a memcache server, which is sort of at the heart of every basic LAMP application that was running in 2010 or whenever it was. And it turned out to be really hard, and we ultimately gave up on it. We said, well, it's a cache. If it falls over, it's not the end of the world. Let's not worry about it. Let's go on with our lives. And we did, and we finished the project, and everything was fine. And about three weeks later, AWS announced ElastiCache, which was on-demand clustered memcache. And it was as if they had been reading our emails. And the point of the story is whether they were reading our emails or not, somebody figured out, oh, our customers are using our platform and they're having this problem over here. How can we help make that problem easier? And I think that where things in enterprises really come down to and how they actually manifest as silos in a way that we don't like is I'm over here doing my job. And if you want something from me, you have to fill out a form and wait. And maybe you'll get it and maybe you won't. But my focus is on I'm doing my job. And if you want something from me, you have to kind of run the gauntlet. Right. And I think at its very heart what DevOps is about, regardless of how many teams or how few teams or what the value stream looks like, is flipping that equation. Um, I was talking with the head of a networking group who was frustrated because marketing would publish printed collateral that had references to domains that they hadn't registered yet. Hmm. And he said, how can they not know that? It's just common sense. And I said, well, obviously it's not common sense because they don't do it. And yeah. what I told him is what you need to do is you, go, you need to go look at how they work and understand why it is they're failing to do the right thing and figure out how you could help make it easier for them to do the right thing. So what I would, it's a long-winded way of saying is what I would tell this new director of DevOps or what have you is don't worry too much about the org chart. Maybe don't even worry at all about the org chart. Is start picking some teams and teach them how to approach their work, their current work, exactly the way it is differently. Um, I, I've worked with, with other teams where uh, they can't get work done because they're always getting interrupted and by requests for service. And when we sit down and we look at what's really going on, what we discover is part of the reason they're always getting interrupted is because the documentation and training material they've provided on how to use their service is very confusing. And if they take a little bit of time 
to improve that, guess what? The interruptions go away. Uh, right. But to do that, they had to think about things from the perspective of this other team that's filing these ServiceNow requests. Why are they filing them? What is their problem? How do you make your customer's problem go away? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it's, it's funny that you, um, that you say that because I just got asked a question by a friend um, who knows that I had a lot of experience building um, support groups in the first um, 10 or so years that I was in uh, IT and running infrastructure teams. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things I said that you, of the many things I told uh, him to focus on, uh, um, one of them was, you know, the best service call you, 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 you solve is the one you don't have to take. Right. Right. And, and he immediately, his first response was he started to say, well, what do you, and then he, it clicked. And, um, and th that's literally exactly what you're talking about, right? And, and what you just brought up, and, and uh, you know, at risk of sidelining the, the specifics of DevOps for DevOps in this conversation for just a minute, is it sounds like um, um, many modern uh, developer organizations or um, IT organizations through the distribution of, um, of service offerings uh, and the, the lack of transparency of where support um, and delivery come from in some cases, what has happened is that the function that used to be centralized in a traditional support desk which allowed someone like me terrific visibility into the type of calls um, we were getting and how, how often we were getting them and why we were getting them and where we could focus energies on getting rid of the calls, not answering the calls faster, but getting rid of them altogether. Do you see that in, as a risk in some organizations where the, the distribution of that function actually reduces the, the importance of um, uh, or priority level of, of the type of call that's coming in so that they don't get the attention that they otherwise would? Well, where I see it manifest is in the support relationship between the teams more than between the customer and the organization. And maybe we're saying the same thing, that, that what was being managed centrally um, as you as you break your organization into smaller more distributed pieces that it becomes an internal problem as much as or more than an external problem but i think it's certainly the case you know where what i see a lot with with contemporary enterprise it organizations that are stuck is the reason that they're stuck is that the teams are all thrashing each other the database team is thrashing the network team. The network team is thrashing the storage team. The storage team is thrashing the database team. Um, and so what I thought you were going to say, and what I would say is that each of those teams needs to think the way you wanted to think, which is how do I make the service calls coming to me go away? Right. And, you know, there, there are some very straightforward ways to do that. I see database groups who are automating the process of deploying new schemas. So instead of a developer 
filing a ticket that a database engineer then has to swivel their chair and say, okay, now I have to get this thing deployed to production before the code can get deployed to production so the right schema is in place. If I create an automated uh, API or just tip up a you know, schema automation tool um, and hand the keys to it to the development group, then that's a service call that I don't have to answer anymore. Right, right, that makes sense. Well, that's great. Um, so, uh, you know, a little thought on, on the integration and, and relationship of, of support ticket management and, uh, and DevOps and how they're linked. That's, that's good stuff. So when we, um, you know, when we do, uh, I, I mentioned, I'm gonna back up on myself a little bit here. So I, earlier I mentioned uh, the fact that there isn't a tool that makes you DevOps. Um, would you say that there are tools though that make um, owning a consistent DevOps process um, more effective uh, and more and or more efficient? Or, you know, a set of tools depending on whether you're in infrastructure or you're a developer or some combination of the above. For instance, um, could you argue that some uh, PaaS environments are actually an opportunity to create the equivalent of uh, DevOps process repositories. Uh, um, what do you think? I think the answer is a very big maybe. And the right. reason I hesitate is, yes, I think there are a whole set. You know, PaaS is one, configuration automation is another, um, containers is another, um, anything from HashiCorp is another. Um, the reason I hesitate is in every one of those cases, I've seen organizations deploy them and miss the point, unfortunately. And if you don't think about changing how you operate and how you do business as an internal organization, the simple fact that you're switching from SVN to Git isn't going to help you. Yeah. You know, if you if you tip up a nice PaaS and you have all of the same uh, constipated processes for how you move code through a life cycle, mm -hmm. your PaaS isn't going to help you. Um, even worse, if you tip it up and you go to legacy teams that are used to building legacy apps in legacy ways, and you say, hey, here's your paths, go wild, and they don't know how to build a cloud-native application, it's not going to do you a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, in, in you know, reverse engineering that point, um, you know, let's say an organization has gotten through some of the organizational and, and cultural um, discussions and, and changes that are necessary for, uh, you know, the, an agile or DevOps-oriented society to be created uh, in an enterprise. And you, you already talked a little bit about, you know, focus on something small, something that is discrete that you can um, uh, accommodate and, and solve for quickly, certainly something that might be a pain point. Um, what do you, you know, when you look at all the things that might be best incorporated into um, the DevOps process in order to remove the fact that someone has to go out and get information about a particular um, certification that has to be incorporated into 
um, development or into release to production or um, you know uh, things around PCI or things around HIPAA or whatever it is. What do you what do you suggest to people as far as attempting to you know either automate or ensure that the, the consistency of those deliverables in the process? How do you look at that part of the equation? In other words. Well, I look at it from, if I'm understanding your question, which I'm not sure I am, but I'll answer it anyway, <laughs> and then we'll find out if I understand. All right. All right. Um, I look at it very much from the perspective of lean analysis of where is there waste and how can you make that waste go away? Um, and where is there delay and where are there cues that you can make go away? Um, you know, the, it doesn't speak directly to things like compliance, but I think John Hall's work with swarms as a way of doing um, support escalation is really fantastic. And I'm, you know, coaching a 300-person company right now in how to implement escalation swarms. So, because they have this classic case where a ticket comes in or a customer calls up on the phone and a first-line support person looks at it and goes, well, I think that's over here in this part of the application. And they drop a ticket in the queue. And 10 minutes later, the person from that team looks at it and says, no, that's not really us. And then it gets passed along. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of delay and there's a tremendous amount of waste and there's a tremendous amount of context switching um, on the part of the developers. And, you know, John Hall looked at that and said, well, why don't you just have all of those people look at all of the tickets together four times a day? Yeah. And the process becomes much more efficient and much more effective for everyone from the customer all the way back to the developers. And it's a classic case of, looking at, okay, where are the queues? Where's the excess work in progress? Where's the delay and the wait time? And how do we wring that out of the process? And so you can, you can apply it to, you know, I mean, even if you look at compliance and you say, well, we do compliance through a cab. Um, how effective is that? How wasteful is that as opposed to having an automated system that basically says, okay, has that, this gone through the right checkpoint? Has it passed the right checks um, in order for us to conclude that it's compliant or not? So I'm not sure if I answered your question at all, but but from my perspective, that is a, a really straightforward, um, you know, value stream mapping, waste, work in progress, delay, queuing analysis. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's great. And I think you you answered the question that um, uh, I was attempting to ask, and just oh, good intelligently. <laughs> So, um, uh, may, you know, maybe, maybe the last question in, in regard to that, um, where, if, if, if I'm, um, you know, as, as we're going through this process, uh, meaning we're the royal we're of, of enterprises and, and their teams looking at, at um, employing um, DevOps uh, as a strategy for their company, um, you know, beyond somebody calling someone like you and saying, come over here and help us, um, what, other, what other places should they look um, to get reference material? Or are there um, uh, specific strategies or references that make more sense depending on the age of your company or the industry you're in? What are maybe, you know, five or six tips uh, in that regard? Um. 
Well, in terms of reference materials, they could read my book, Designing Delivery. Um, I would they, just, uh, okay, un, unrequested, but I would say <laughs> go out and read that book. It's, it's a great book, so um, there you go. They should also read uh, the DevOps Handbook, um, which is really good at creating a pretty concrete picture about how to go about these things of thinking about automation and thinking about value stream mapping and that kind of thing. Um, right. Aside, aside from that, uh, you know, that's actually a hard one. I'm not sure that we've done a great job because on the one, on the one hand, we caution against just cargo culting or doing cookie cutter implementations, which is good. But on the other hand, we've maybe been a little too vague um, about how to approach it. You know, I mean, I, I do workshops that, that try and actually teach organizations, well, how do you do this service-centered thinking? How do you actually do continuous learning? Um, I, I think we need a lot more of that. Um, and I think, to be frank, um, that is a bit of a weak spot. And I think, to be really honest, if you look at Agile and DevOps, I think our industry is struggling a bit at this point. You know, if you look at Agile, um, and it's funny because very often I get brought in to do DevOps and I end up doing Agile because, you know, even infrastructure teams, they just need help organizing their work in a more iterative, responsive, Agile fashion. But anyway, my right. point is that um, we're going through this angst where we're realizing that just reading the Scrum book and, you know, having your stand up at the right time and asking the right questions um, at the same time every day isn't enough but I don't think we've yeah. figured out, we've gone to the other extreme and say, well, if you do Agile with a capital A, then you're not Agile and you're a stupid person. That's not really very helpful. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, my work is, is focused on, you know, partly in my book and partly in my workshops and a method that I teach and partly in my coaching of just helping people navigate their way through that. Um, I think we need a lot more. That's sort of somewhere in the middle of that continuum between take this boot camp and get the certification and everything will be fine. And on the other hand, you know, if you just sort of take the right drugs and have the right epiphany about reality, you'll have a good company. Right. right. Agreed. Well, that's good stuff. And um, Jeff, uh, I think um, you've uh, given a lot of information in, in 35, 40 minutes here that, um, uh, would be invaluable. Certainly, if I hadn't been um, talking to you uh, and others uh, in a similar vein for the last three or four years, um, this is the kind of advice that I would want um, when I'm getting started. And uh, uh, so, not a lot of hyperbole, but but just real good ways of thinking about how to approach the the problem space and and create the opportunity that um, that DevOps really offers as far as I'm concerned and, and, and how it potentially offers opportunity above and beyond uh, the strict domain of, um, of IT. So and I think that's fantastic. So, um, you know, before we wrap up, um, any last things that you'd like to get off your chest about what you're seeing these days or, or, you know, 
one one mistake you'd like to tell people not to make or um, anything? Um, yeah, I think the one thing is I saw a slide from somebody's from a talk today that said that one of the principles of DevOps is treating failure as normal. And I think that's a tricky comment. And I think the whole topic of failure is a tricky one. Um, we say things like, you know, fail early and fail fast. And I think the key here on the one hand is the point is not failure. The point is learning. Right. But if you can't allow yourself small failures, um, then you will have big ones. Um, and they will be much more painful and much more expensive. And I think it's very, very important for leaders when they are trying to adopt cloud or DevOps or Agile or whatever it is, is to communicate through everything they do that it's okay to say, hey, I have a great idea. I think we should go do this. It'll save us a million dollars. And then for that person to come back a day or a week later and say, well, I looked into it and it's actually a really bad idea and we shouldn't do it. And I was wrong. It will right. cost us more money. Um, because the truth is that what we're involved here is it is no longer just an implementation problem. It's a search problem. We're continuously trying to understand where should we go next. And the only way to understand where to go next is to understand where not to go next. And we really need a different way of thinking about management um, that incense courage and curiosity um, even more than it incense accomplishment or achievement. Right. So I think the mistake I would caution against is if you, if you judge uh, pilots and experiments in areas like Agile and DevOps, purely from the perspective of did this work, was this successful in a traditional way, then you will fail and you will demotivate your organization. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that. In fact, it's funny that um, you brought up that, uh, the point about fail fast because uh, I've seen people use that fast and loose a lot more in the last <laughs> year. And, and I, and I think it's potentially dangerous for people to not understand the context as you so well described relative to, you know, doing um, this in, in a DevOps type of principle. Um, and that uh, it's, it's really more about creating the environment that allows you to test and, and learn um, and progress from that um, without necessarily focusing on um, somehow making the word failure be acceptable. Um, because yes, you're failing, but words, words are important. And um, uh, you know, if the project seems to be, have taken a lot of time or it seems to have been um, you know, very um, high profile or whatever, and it fails, um, you know, that's, it's, it is a learning experience but it's also potentially devastating. And so uh, understanding how to incorporate that, um, that language appropriately in your thinking, I think is, is crucial. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, 
just want to say thank you very much for everyone listening. And um, uh, this was a, a fascinating talk with Jeff. Uh, and Jeff, um, again, thank you for joining us. And by the way, uh, where can uh, people find you if they want to read more about what you're doing or, or follow you online or something like that? They can find me at sussna-associates.com or on Twitter at Jeff Sussna. Jeff Sussna, great. Okay, well, and I've been following Jeff for a long time, and uh, so I would highly recommend it. Um, uh, and um, anyone who is interested in uh, joining the show or think you have someone you'd like to recommend for the show, please um, feel free to send me a note at uh, podcast at idc-a.org. Uh, and until next time, uh, we'll be, where we'll be joined by Ralph Laura. CEO, CIO of Lumentum, uh, former CIO at uh, Rodan and Fields and HP and Clorox, a lot of uh, a wealth of information in, in the, the modern IT space. Um, I'd like to say thanks for, again for joining. And uh, if you're interested in following me on Twitter, you can find me at mtlee10, M-T-H-I-E-L-E-10. And um, I also blog occasionally on LinkedIn on topics like edge computing and and uh, assorted other um, modern day IT topics. So again, thank you very much and uh, have a good day.